With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. It's the Between the Ropes podcast. Brian Fritz, Connor Casey back here once again. Plenty to cover when it comes to wrestling. I say plenty, but quite honestly, Connor, it's actually kind of a slow week, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's obnoxiously slow this week. There's nothing to talk about. There, there's stuff to talk about, but it's nothing too deep to talk about, I guess. I mean, there's there's WWE news, but we're still a week removed from SummerSlam, AEW news, but that's more about what's going on with their TV launch, which is until the first week of October. There's some New Japan stuff, but we're like right in the middle of the G1. So there's a little bit to talk about when it comes to everything, but nothing that really screams at you right now, other than we have a mystery on our hands. Almost a murder mystery. Almost a murder mystery. As who tried to kill one Roman Reigns on SmackDown? Ooh. Dun, and then dun, who dun. made him stand up? Who made him stand up awkwardly afterwards and go, I'm okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to walk away now. Bye. I, I almost didn't really understand that scene, quite honestly, the way they ended SmackDown, because I was waiting for the Samoan Summit. And the next thing you know, like there's a camera guy running backstage and people are freaking out and scaffolding has fell. And I'm like, then Roman Reigns emerged. And I'm like, did it actually fall on him? But he's not hurt and he doesn't want to see a doctor and he's walking away. Like, did it almost fall on him? But then they have a picture. WWE has a picture on their Instagram where he's actually underneath the scaffolding. So I'm like, it fell on him, but somehow his Samoan powers saved his life. I'm, I don't understand all of this. This was not well thought out is the best way I can put this. Just everything from the camera angles to the way it fell to how quickly he crawled out from underneath it to how he just awkwardly stumbled away as the episode went off the air. This was just poorly executed all the way around. Can we talk about the prick that took a picture of Roman Reigns so WWE would have a close-up of him to put on Instagram but wouldn't help him out of the scaffolding? Right. And who who was the cameraman hiding behind the scaffolding? Right. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different angles to look at this. These are the questions we have to ask when things aren't interesting. Well, here's the big one then. Who was the mastermind behind this devious crime of trying to take out when Roman Reigns. Well, if you ask Reddit, it was one Buddy Murphy. Which is one hell of a thread to go through that people think it's Buddy Murphy. And explain why. 
So as Roman is walking away, the final shot, you see somebody with their back turned to the hallway. And based on the color and design of the shirt, people recognize that, oh, hey, wait, that's the exact same shirt Buddy Murphy was wearing on 205 Live minutes later. What the hell is going on? I love that people have gone through that much, you know, looking at everything and comparing and seeing the shirts and saying, hey, it's got to be Buddy Murphy because look at the shirts, look at how it matched up. And it might have just been a case where Buddy Murphy was around that area and they happened to catch him, which is probably what happened. But I I love the theories. I mean, no one ever just considered out loud, hey, you know, maybe he was just standing backstage, realized the segment was going on and had to turn his back to not get noticed. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of? And this will be a dated reference. You will get some of it, I think. But just to show you how dated this is, if you go back to the day of who shot Jr. you know, from Dallas. Sure. At the time, and this is really dated, uh, in the where I lived, um, was I still up north? I might have been actually in Ford at the time. But anyway, my dad had made a big splurge when it came to buying something. And we had a VCR. Not everybody had a VCR, right? We had a couple of blank tapes. So, of course, we taped Dallas in case my parents weren't going to be around that night to watch it. Well, of course, when the Who Shot JR thing came down, everybody's like, whoa, what just happened? I remember of my dad trying to figure it out, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on the tape and saying, oh, I think I see a reflection in the glass. And I think I know who might have done it. And because of that, he theorized, which is much like what we're talking about here when it came to who tried to kill Roman Reigns. And we think it was Buddy Murphy. The weird thing is at the time, I guess a lot of people did the same thing and like, you know, wrote into, wrote in how, how dated is that too? Wrote into CBS to where CBS had to flat out say like the reflection you saw was a cameraman and we did not film that the way we should have. And we caught his reflection and that was an accident on our behalf. You know, there's another theory that's popping up and it's, if you watch the tape, you'll notice that a certain figure pops his head out among the crowd of people that have suddenly gathered to see what's going on. And he pops out from the spot where the scaffolding tipped over. And you'll never guess who it is. It's brother love himself, Bruce Pritchard. Wow. He has come to take over WWE with love. I was going to say, didn't, wasn't he just worried about Roman Reigns? He might have needed a healing hand at that moment in case he was injured. I love you so much. Let me help with that pain you're feeling right now, Roman. Let me put my hands upon you. (laughs) By the way, here's The Undertaker. (laughs) Here's Samoa Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to see if they do a lineup next week and they figure out shadows and they start tracing who is where and are we really going to do this? It's too bad that we don't have um, uh, Fandango and Tyler Breeze on the case here. I know, right? I mean, that would be amazing. Perfect opportunity for them. We actually have a real whodunit now, and we have to figure out who committed the crime. I I wish they had done this a couple weeks ago so they could actually stretch this out. But we've only got one week left of television before SummerSlam. 
And we could have had Shane Helms out there with the reporter cap back on, too, since he's with WWE. He could could have covered it from that angle. There's a lot of different ways they could have gone with this. But in the end, do we just believe it's Samoa Joe, or or are they going to throw us a curveball? Um, Joe McIntyre, who the heck knows? Yeah, I don't don't think it's going to be anything too wild. Uh, my, my, My guess would be Samoa Joe, because... Whether you like this or not, uh, when it comes to SummerSlam, when it comes to the matchup, it sure feels like they're doing McIntyre against Cedric Alexander. I thought they were just going to, based on that brawl on Monday, they would just say, it's an eight-man tag match with all of Shane's guys and also the OC versus Roman, the Usos, and Cedric. I think that's what they're going to do on Raw next week. I don't know if they're going to play that all the way out to SummerSlam, though. They gotta, but then they gotta, but there's, they gotta have something for those guys to do, and a lot of them are just gonna be left on the sidelines unless you do a big multi-man match like that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, and and with SummerSlam, we always expect there to be like, uh, you know, ten thousand matches, kind of like WrestleMania. They're already at nine, and I and think when it's all said and done, we'll probably have like sixteen, seventeen. I also heard a report that they might go shorter this year a little bit. Oh, okay, <laughs> but. Because they're they've at least bumped out the um, the pre-show, but you say nine. We already mentioned that we're probably getting Alistair Black versus Sami Zayn. So there's so ten. Ten. That one will probably go. By the way, Sami's been treated. That'll that one could go a minute. Right, and then Roman's going to face somebody. Whether it's going to be in you know a six man tag or if it's going to be a singles match. If it is a singles match, it means there'll be another one. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of matches on that show. I just I can't imagine Roman Reigns being in a six man tag unless it was part of the Shield on a show the size of SummerSlam. But like he's involved in a somewhat big angle or a big program, but it's not it's not like a huge singles program. He's kind of a little bit on the back burner right now, and it's it's kind of this weird position to see Roman in. But admit it, you kind of hope he makes Buddy Murphy a made man. That would be like this. That would be crazy. Like, what if Roman next week on the show went on a rampage and said, I saw the footage and like he grabbed Buddy Murphy in the back and said, hey, was it you and he? And Roman's just so pissed off that he's just grabbing people left and right going, wait a second, where were you when this happened? What happened? You know, and just started costing everybody to figure out who tried to kill him. The real twist is it was John Moxley. He flew back over from Japan. If it had been Seth Rollins under the scaffolding, then I could have understood Moxley. Okay, but not for, he wouldn't do that to Roman. Moxley just comes up. I heard you've been talking shit. <laughs> Moxley doesn't have the money to fly over because he used it all to try to buy a Toriano DVD. Yeah, but he can ask Shoto to get more, him more money. Which, if anybody didn't see that, what what was it, like a tag team match that they had uh, a couple of nights ago? Yeah, he, so he had Shota steal the steal $5,000 from the 5,000 yen from the ring announcer. And then Kevin Kelly tweets out, he has not been paid back for that money. He has not. And the money went flying in the middle of the match. And I thought the referee was like trying to pick it up and was pocketing it, which would have been just a great spot, too. Oh, my God. Toriano's negotiating the price for how much he's going to sell his DVD to John Moxley early on in their tag team match that they're having. So see how much more interesting this is than whatever they're going to probably come up with. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, don't get your hopes up 
from where they could go because we're only one week from SummerSlam and it's going to be something pretty obvious. They can still make that pretty good, but what else are they going to add to this to make it really good? Because like we've already seen Roman Reigns against Samoa Joe. We saw that plenty, plenty of time. You know, we saw that in the reunion show and it was a five minute match. So where are you going to go from that? Uh, you know, is it going to be McIntyre? We've seen McIntyre and Reigns at WrestleMania. So where are you going to go with all this? And can you do something that's going to be different? Probably not. But the there's opportunities to do something different. And we all know WWE is all about opportunities or an opportunity to get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Which I don't want to hear the word opportunity on WWE anymore. I'm sick of the word. It's, it's really getting gross at this point. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We got the really spicy angle, I guess, if you want to call it that, on, on Raw Monday night, in that we saw... Brock Lesnar kicked the bejesus out of Seth Rollins. I think a lot of people weren't even sure if Brock was at that show. And the music played, and everybody's like, oh, they're screwing with us. And then he actually was there. And he beat the holy hell out of Seth to the point where you were legitimately wondering, like, is Seth going to be okay from this? Because a couple of those shots look really bad. He's giving him F5s and open chairs. He's falling on the top of that. That could be kind of you know, wicked to fall on, even if you're trying to protect yourself. Then they do the whole bit in the back where he's giving him an F5 on the floor. They pull him out of the ambulance. They gave him an F5 on a stretcher that was on its side, which did not look like that was fun to take at all. So they really did this stretcher job, this injury angle with Seth. He's bleeding from the mouth where it was probably a blood capsule, whatever they did with that. But it was a very, um, a very visceral angle of Brock Lesnar just beating up Seth Rollins and him bleeding from the mouth and now wondering what his status is going to be as we're approaching their championship match at SummerSlam. Call me a cynic, but I didn't care. I I knew where this was going. I knew the match wasn't off. They're already doing this thing where he's being evaluated right now for undisclosed injuries. And it's like, yeah, we, we know you're, you're, you're banged up because you got dropped on a stretcher that was flipped over. We know you're going to be fine. They're doing that storyline now. They're acting like he's banged up. I mean, he has to at least sell the injuries next week on Raw. I guess I guess the question would be, well, two things. Number one, is this going to be the excuse why he doesn't win the title back at SummerSlam because he is still so banged up even going into that match? And if they don't go that route, why didn't they do this angle sooner so they could at least give the perception that he had more time to recover before the match. Not that WWE cares about that stuff. 
who the heck knows? But when you're reading reports that WWE is doing everything they can to try and make Seth Rollins seem cool, th- this isn't the way to do it, you guys. I mean, we all expect him to be fine come match time, or even if he is, like, banged up, it's going to be one of those things where Seth Rollins overcame the odds and was injured. He's suffering from an internal injury and whatever, and, like, gets beat up early on that match, but he fights through it and somehow finds a way to beat Brock Lesnar in this fair one-on-one match where it's not going to be they got into it before the match, before the, the bell rang. There was no low blows. It was a fair match. And even though he was banged up, Seth beat Lesnar and won back the title. Maybe it's because we've already had Seth and Brock going at it so much that I'm numb to it. Maybe it's that we did this at WrestleMania that I'm numb to it. I'm just numb to it. That's the problem is that we they didn't do anything this visceral or this dramatic, but they've done the storyline already. They did the whole Brock Lesnar beat up Seth Rollins going into a match. I preferred what they did at WrestleMania. It gave Seth some edge and it did something that we didn't expect. And then they opened up WrestleMania with that match, which we did not expect either because Paul Heyman came out and said, Hey, let's just, let's do this right now. Yeah. Start of the show. It was three minutes. Seth did exactly what he said he was going to do, which is, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this title away from this jerk. And that includes kicking him in the dick. Yeah. It's interesting too. When I look at the way that they they're doing raw now, because it's obviously Paul Heyman's raw, who knows how much he has to say and everything, but you can see his fingerprints all over it. You can see it like with this storyline that we said that before you can see it with the, the, um, the Mike Bennett and Maria Canellis, you know, angle that they're doing with her now being the, the 24 seven champion, the first pregnant champion. And she's always that we we know of. Yes. And she's always calling. Let's be honest in this world of wrestling. We live in, you're telling me she's the first woman to ever hold a title while pregnant. Uh, probably not. Uh, there's probably been other people that have been, uh, didn't know they were pregnant yet. And something happened there. Isn't, isn't that the pages story? Is that her mom didn't know she was pregnant? Yes. But we're like, talking about WWE. Nothing outside I, that counts. <laughs> I know, but come on. And then we've got Maria keeps uh, referring to Mike like a, um, you know, you and your vagina. And Keep then he goes talk. out and has a really good match with Drake Maverick on 205 Live. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> but the way they're structuring Raw right now is like, look at the way they did this past Monday. They start off with this show with this very um eccentric detailed yet somewhat goofy video package detailing the rich history of the 24 7 championship with this over-the-top announcer you know um narrating everything and they do sports entertainment basically the first hour or so and as the show goes on you can see they get into more wrestling matches they get into more serious storylines the way that they ended the show the last, you know, last 30 minutes of the show was this Brock Lesnar beatdown that they did of Seth. And then they ended the show with the wild brawl that included Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe and the Usos and the club and Cedric Alexander is diving off of the, uh, the Titan Tron, basically. And everybody goes spilling like bowling pins. And, you know, it's just this huge brawl. And that's 
I guess that's what we should expect now is that when it comes to the more serious or quote unquote adult stuff, that's going to be later on the show. But I expect the the campy sports entertainment stuff to be early on in the show from like eight to nine, nine thirty Eastern. This was a conversation they were having months ago where they were talking about we need to make the third hour feel raw. And they were darkening the stage set and they were trying to have edgier content. And I, whatever. You, you could have had Yakety Sax playing in that 24 7 set and it would have fit. Are you still as big of a fan of 24 7 Championship as you were or are you down on it now? I still dig the title. I am very uncomfortable with this Maria Canellas thing. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to stop. I don't like where they took it either when it comes to that. I want one of the sponsors to call and be like, hey, that pregnant lady better not take a bump. Right. I mean, I I like the storyline of Drake not consummating his marriage yet and the the stuff that goes along with that. The thing is, I think we've reached a point where you need to tie a bow on that. Like, Truth has held the title ten times. At least with this Maria thing, it seems like we are moving away from him. I literally thought the way that they were doing this on Monday was, is this going to be the excuse to get rid of this title or put it on ice for a while? And I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't know what creative way they're going to do to get the title off of Maria or how long she holds it, but it's, it's obvious like they can't do anything physical with her. So what are they going to do with this now? Good question. I just, I want new stuff to come in. It doesn't need to be truth and Drake every week. No, absolutely. It does not. And I mean, they've gotten so much life out of that. I don't know where else they want to go with it, quite honestly, and what else they can do. Um, one other thing when it comes to what they did with TV this week, if you go back to the previous week when they did the Raw reunion show, we all knew that that was going to do a really good rating, and it did. The ratings fell back down to earth the way that we thought. Like, if you look at Raw, the average was down like 700,000 people. And that just goes back to a point that we made, and I think a lot of other people did too, in that, okay, you want to do a reunion show, that's fine. What are you going to do on that show when you know you're going to draw a bigger audience that's going to get people interested in your current product and get them sticking around to next week? And they didn't do anything with that. It's cool to see Stone Cold smashing beers and telling stories, and you got Hulk Hogan out there. You got Ric Flair doing an impression of a mannequin out there and everything else that they did, but... What did you do to take advantage of that? Nothing. And then your rating immediately fell back down. And I almost look at it as, hey, we had something to talk about, like our investors call that they did last week. Like, everything's fine. Don't look over here. Ratings are up, you know, the last three or four weeks or whatever they wanted to claim. And then, you know, investor call is done for the quarter. Hey, we don't have to worry about that for a little while. And boom, the rating falls right back down because nothing happened on that show to make those new viewers or different viewers that don't watch every week to come back. They just knew, Hey, this is the week that the guys that we really loved are going to be on the show. Oh, they're not going to be on next week. Well, then I'm not going to watch. Like I said, it was a bandaid over a bullet hole and the bandaid fell off. It really was. Uh, so SummerSlam, we've got nine matches. I don't know how they're going to fill out the rest of the card. Roman's going to be on there. McIntyre is going to be on there. Do we think Braun Strowman's going to be on that show or how? I wouldn't be surprised if Braun wasn't even on that show. He can't say words now, apparently. He just grunts at Maria because he knows he can't put his hands on a pregnant woman. 
I honestly thought he was just gonna like lift her up and like gently place her down and then just hold her. That might be something they want to do. I, I don't know what else they can do. I, I, I told you, I, I said it before. Braun with that title is so much fun because he can go a straight month without anybody coming near him. I can see them doing like the dog pile that they did on on Raw on Monday, and that's and then how, him just going like, Rah! yeah, him going Hulk, and everybody yeah. just goes flying. You know, all the bodies just go ripping through the sky because Braun Strowman, you know, is smash them all away but yeah i I don't know what they're going to do with him when it comes to that show um and then bauer's going to be taking a break after that but or we expect them to and i I don't know if they're going to add shinsuke nakamura against i mean i would i guess they're going to do nakamura and ali they just did it on smackdown but you know on smackville too i was there for that one right how was that smackville show so i had amazing seats Mm mm-hmm it was great. The show was fun, but inconsequential. You know, you you show up, there's a dark match, and then the actual network part of it starts. And then we get, surprisingly early in the night, we get the Kofi triple threat match. And then the, the network portion ends, and we just go to intermission. We come back from intermission, and then we have another whole half of the house show. Yeah. So... It was fun for what it was. It was cool to see certain people get the shine where otherwise they wouldn't. Uh, heavy Machinery looked great. Sami Zayn, you know, was great. I I think one thing I really appreciated was this is the first time I'd seen Elias live. And I, I think something we don't appreciate is just how good this guy is at riling a crowd up. He is so much better at it than so many other wrestlers. We don't think about it because it's every week. So we kind of take it for granted, but he is so freaking good at getting a crowd behind him with actually some admittedly good guitar work and then going into, oh, by the way, the Titans would never win the Super Bowl. Boo! I'm like, you do this so well. I think that's one of the fun things about going to a house show for WWE is that guys do have more time. They can do more things. They have more liberties when it comes to everything. There's there's a lot more fun that could be played out that we normally see that we don't see on TV just because everything is just so structured on TV. And when it comes to the house shows, guys are like, oh, well, we have a little bit more time. We can do this. We could do that. We can have some fun with this. And you just it's a totally different kind of a show. Also, one funny thing. So a couple of uh, a, a few couples were behind me, some some nice folks in their 30s. And uh, two of the ladies behind me could not stop pointing out how big of a guy Joe was, but how tiny his feet are. <laughs> and I look and I go, he does have small feet. Oh, jeez. Maybe it's his boots. Who knows? I don't know. I've, I've never noticed that. I've never noticed the small feet on Samoa Joe. It's amazing what people recognize though, on these just, shows. Just proportion-wise, I think they were just like, his feet don't match the rest of it. Hey, that's like me, man. I'm five foot ten and i wear a size 13 how is this possible i have gigantic feet miracle of science i don't get it as well i have uh, i don't know um but yeah outside of that i mean wwe kind of a forgettable week when it came to tv it was just like okay we got to get back on track we've got SummerSlam coming up we just did this reunion show so 
let's do some stuff here and hopefully we can get people talking. We we still didn't get the Daniel Bryan announcement. They once again said they were going to do it. And then he's backstage. He's being interviewed to give the big announcement. And it's nothing but silence and he walks away. I have no yeah. idea where that is going. Somebody, somebody has theorized that maybe he's going to go to 205 Live and my heart is breaking if they do that. Um, I, I'd say that, I, didn't, I have no idea what they're going to do with him. And I mean, if he went to 205 Live, I mean, is he bringing Rowan with him? Is this heavy or... I, a, a better idea that I've heard. Yeah. And I, I did not come up with this. I heard this elsewhere. was if they are bringing NXT up to FS1, they combine it with the 205 Live roster and have Daniel Bryan be the linchpin of the entire show. Mm. Yeah, I guess I could I could see something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what the possibilities will be and what, what WWE will actually pull the trigger on if and when NXT goes to FS1. How much do they integrate main roster talent onto that show? And do we finally get to see that kind of cross-promotion, cross-pollination of talent? Because one of the easy things I think they could do is, I mentioned Bauer is going to be taking time off at SummerSlam, right? We don't know how much time. My guess would be he's going to be back October, you know, somewhere around there. I mean, that's obviously when, you know, SmackDown begins on Fox. It's going to be a hot period for both Raw and SmackDown. I would love to see them do something where Bauer, even though it's on a different brand, he goes from SmackDown to Raw. He could join the OC. He could join the club. You know, so now you've got four members of the club. Oh, and by the way, there happens to be a faction in NXT that has four members, and that's Undisputed Era. And you could do something like that. And and you could do that on both brands at that point. You could do it on a Raw, and you could do it on NXT, you know, and kind of do that cross promotion there. The only thing about that though is that's two different networks. So I don't know how much USA network would be cool with that. So there there's that to play into it. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of different possibilities they could do if NXT goes to FS one. And if they really want to start putting some main roster talent on there, which is something they've talked about doing for a while. True. True. Cause the only guys we've seen on there really so far has been what Tyler breeze has been the one guy that's really gone over there. Apollo was there for a hot minute. Yeah. Fandango made an appearance at the last tapings. But when it comes to like a guy being a regular part of it now, I think Tyler's really the only guy that's that's done it, you know, that's stayed and had an impact. So we'll right. see where that goes. Uh, let's hit on AEW for just a quick minute because on Friday, they're going to be selling uh, the tickets for their first TV show taping uh that's going to be taking place in washington dc you know in the first week of october and they are hoping for a sellout obviously it's going to be i don't know how many people are going to be fitted into that building it's going to be probably somewhere around like seventeen thousand. i would think is what it's going to be the seating room will be something like that so yeah. it's going to be a lot of people that they're going to be trying to get and the way that they are selling it off to everybody is you know be a part of this event First time ever, once in a lifetime kind of a thing. You never know when something like this is going to happen again. It's the first TV taping or the first TV show we're ever doing for AEW. Be a part of it. Uh, tickets are as cheap as 40 bucks, but if you want to sit in the front row, it's $250. So they're asking for a lot of money there as well. I think that show's going to sell out. I don't think it's going to be a first day sellout, but 
I think they're going to get enough people to probably sell out that building. It's just going to take a little while. Yeah, it might not be. I would be shocked if we get another situation like double or nothing or all out where within the hour of tickets going on sale, we're looking at a sellout. I don't think that's happening this time around. I think they do get to the sellout because then they can brag about that fact and say, hey, we keep selling out stuff. We sold out our first show. It's all going up from here. I don't think it's going to be a flying situation like we get with uh, like All Out or with All In or anything like that. There'll be some people that come in from out of town. It's not going to be as many people. It's it's not yeah. a holiday weekend. It's in the middle of the week. The show takes place on a Wednesday. So there's all those factors. But, I but it we, is in D.C. and it's not too terribly far away from other markets. No, you can get people coming in from Baltimore, from uh, from Philadelphia, I think. Maybe even some New York you know, people will come in. Maybe people will take a day off or whatever. So I think you can get enough people from the surrounding area along with the locals in D.C. And you could probably fill up that show. I, I don't know if the same is going to be, obviously, for the weeks afterwards. And we'll we'll start seeing where those buildings are going to be, what, what, what cities and what buildings are booking. We'll find that out here pretty soon. But, you know, I, I think the first show will sell out. There's just a lot of curiosity and interest in that first show. It's just where they go from there. But yeah, exactly. I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like, you know, 10 minutes and it's sold out, but they'll, they'll yeah. get there. They did announce two matches for that show, though. So they're going to do. Yeah, they're, they're not particularly like balls to the wall matches. They're, they're six man. Ta- it's a six man tag and a Cody versus Sammy G. Which, yeah, not terrible. And Moxley is going to be there, which we knew he was going to be there. He's right. Part of the company. Well, the six man, though, it's so we've got the elite. We've got uh, Kenny with the Bucks against Jericho and their two mystery partners. You want to take a stab at who the mystery partners might be? Because isn't there some theory right now that they're people that are not currently a part of AEW? My guess is LAX. Yeah. I think that's a team that both WWE and AEW are looking at right now. No word that they've signed with either. It's a, it's a, this AEW is the breeding ground for great tag team wrestling right now. And if I'm any tag team of any merit in the indie scene right now, that's where I'm trying to go. What would your reaction be if it was Enzo and Cass? I would shut off the TV. Wow. (laughs) So you're not interested in seeing Enzo and Cass as a part of AEW and joining up with Chris Jericho. Nope. Not at all. Yeah, I, I think that'd be underwhelming, even though like Moxley is friends with Cass and, you know, they faced each other recently on an independent show and Cass is doing better now and kind of got his head straight. But I don't know it, if it's, AEW it's, wants to delve their their foot in the pool that is Enzo. It's weird that. So Cass is doing these these videos for DDP yoga and he's doing these interviews where he's being very open and honest. And he's talking about, you know, his battles with depression and, you know, it makes him very endearing and standing right next to him is a guy who is trying to embrace his dirtbag persona as hard as humanly possible. And I just think to myself, how the heck do you two get along? They don't get along. That that's been the problem. I think they've gotten along as a tag team and know that like, you know, when we're together, especially with NXT and whatnot, we worked well together so we could get along from that perspective. But when it comes to their personalities and everything, I don't think they've got along that great. And 
I can't imagine anybody getting along with Enzo on a regular basis. It just feels like something is going to go wrong sooner or later, considering that guy's personality. Right. Especially how his, uh, his attempted addition to the ring of honor roster has gone. Still hasn't shown up. What's gone better that or his rap career. At least his rap career had songs. Would you really call those songs? I don't know what I'd call it. I'd call it consensual penis is what I would call it. (laughs) And before the censors get mad at me, that's a real lyric. That is a real lyric, unfortunately. I mean, who is the better rapper? Enzo or the Macho Man? Me. (laughs) The answer is me. I haven't heard your work yet. I haven't heard your work, man. Do you have any samples? I don't work for free. <laughs> is it is your work featured somewhere on SoundCloud that I can uh, check it out? You'll never find my SoundCloud profile. Do you, you have one? I'll never tell. <laughs> now I've got something to do over the next couple of days to see if I can figure out if you have a SoundCloud and find your work. Ooh. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's hit on New Japan real quick and then we'll take, uh, we'll do questions. And yeah, we're buzzing through things pretty quickly because wasn't the biggest week in wrestling. Um, we're hitting on some stuff. So we're, we're a little bit more than halfway through the G1. The A block has done uh, six shows. The B block has done five. They've got another one. We're taping this on a Wednesday night. So they've got another one uh, tomorrow. Where we stand right now, Okada's unbeaten. Moxley's unbeaten. You know, to lead each of their blocks. On the A block, Kenta and Kota and Tanahashi are all at A points. So they're kind of, they're in the mix. But to me, one of the biggest surprises going on is Will Ospreay is basically out of this already. He's only won two of his six matches and um, he's only got four points. And there's basically, it, it, it's basically impossible for him to catch up at he, this point. He, he is mathematically eliminated. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I thought that Ospreay would have gone a little farther in this. And I don't know if it's, I'm sure this is the way that it was planned, but he's also pretty banged up as well. Yeah. He's had great matches. I hope your theory from last week about Okada winning this and then naming Osprey as his opponent. I hope that's a route that's still in their back pocket. I don't feel as confident about it now though, because can you pick Osprey if he doesn't come close to winning a block? He came real close to beating Okada though. He did. So there's arguably there's closer than anybody else. Right. Um, 
I'm I'm starting to think now it, it could be a Bushi, but we'll see how it all goes. I, Moxley being unbeaten to this point surprises me a little bit. I kind of hope it's Mox. Like I I know he can only do so much before at, once October hits. I know there's only so much he is allowed to do, but shoot, why not? At this point, no name somebody with more momentum right now in New Japan. Do do you think that either Okada or Moxley is going to go unbeaten in this tournament? It's possible. I think Okada is. I don't know about Moxley. I can't imagine both of them going unscathed in this. But I, I think Okada is probably going to go for the clean sweep. I, I could see that, too, because it's like the one thing he hasn't done yet. Yeah. But when it comes to the other side, I, I don't know. I mean, Jay White's out of it. Jeff Cobb is out of it. Or they're they're not out of it yet. They're very close to being out of it. That's be very difficult for them to come back and win the B block. But well, it's like there's Moxley and then Ishii and Robinson and then everybody else is at four points. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it, it feels like we already know who's going to be facing each other in the finals. It, it feels like Okada against Moxley. I mean, we don't know that for a fact, but it sure feels like it's going to end up that way. And then we go from there. The thing is, if Okada wins, how do you justify him versus Ibushi? Uh, then it's like, oh, I'm going to give it to somebody who, uh, 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 one of the promising young Japanese guys, because we want to. Well, yeah. Cause Abushi's not a, a young Japanese guy. Abushi's 37 years old. Um, but he looks like he's 20. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that's kind of the thing I said with Osprey is that even though he's not a young guy, but like he's somebody that would be different that maybe. You do something and say he deserves this because of the hard work and look at what he's done. Kind of that—that's what they could do in the Japanese storyline. There, I can't imagine Okada picking Tanahashi again. I mean, no. we've gone down that route God, so many times. I—I no. I don't think he would pick Kenta. It just doesn't feel right. So um, apparently, this was popping up today. There's a lot of comments on the posts that New Japan is making from Japanese fans, and they're hating on Kenta. Yeah, and why is that though? I mean, I I, I didn't don't know. I I wonder if it's a loyalty to New Japan over Noah. But yeah, they're saying that it's his fault that half of the A block is already gone. I'm just like, why? Yeah, weren't they saying something like, "Hey, leave here and go go back to to Noah" or something like that? Like, get out of here. Who knows, man? It, you know, certain fans have certain hangups. It's the same reason that WWE fans are blindly going, we have to kill AEW right now oh, God. without seeing a single minute of their products. Well, that's what wrestling fans do, I guess. Uh, since we've, uh, the rest kind of, of us are out here enjoying it. Yes. Since we've burned through everything so quickly, um, we'll have plenty of time to talk about some non-wrestling stuff, but we also have plenty of time to Take some questions from people. You can leave them on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash between the ropes. Uh, let's dive into a few questions here and then we'll get in some, uh, some non wrestling stuff because we've been teasing for a couple of weeks. We we're going to talk about some movies. So we've got some movie talk to do. Yeah. A, a movie or two came out recently. I yes. Uh, let's start here with questions. Francis asks, will you be watching, um, the big shows show on Netflix or Ms. and Mrs. This season. Well, I don't watch reality television, so I won't watch Ms. and Mrs. Same with me. It's like a running I, joke with Francis. I, he knows I'm not going to watch that. 
I will probably watch Big Show show for work because I'm already reviewing another wrestling show that is on its way. So hopefully I can get my hands on, on this show before it comes out. Yeah, I'll watch. I'll only sample the Big Show's program once it comes out on Netflix, and we'll see. Um, the big, the big, after- big Show, 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 Show. Yeah, yeah, the Big Show, 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 Show. Um, but yeah, I'll check out an episode or two of that. I mean, if it's going to come out the way everything comes out on Netflix, I mean, the whole thing's going to drop at once. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to it as much as I am Mindhunters, which is dropping like in a week or so on oh, Netflix. For real? Yeah, oh, man. Love that shit. Did you not see the trailer for it yet? No, I haven't. Did, did, have I told you the story about Mindhunters? No. So the killer that is featured at the start of each episode in Park City, Kansas, yeah. is known as the BTK killer. Right. Who And Wichita, Kansas, was the home, and Park City, which is a suburb, was the home of his victims. Yes. And uh, my mom actually grew up there during certain po- during his certain reign of terror. Wow. Yeah. Scary stuff. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you got to check out the new trailer. Yeah. There there's going to be um two infamous serial killers are uh, briefly shown in the trailer. Is one of them Manson? Yes. Good, cuz that was my whole thing last season is if we're if we're going to stretch the truth on this one, why are we not going right to him? You want to take a guess on who the other one is? Uh, Bundy. No. John Wayne Gacy. No. Um, I don't know who. Son of Sam. <laughs> oh, no. The freaking dog guy. Yeah, son of Sam. Do we just see a black lab? No, you actually see him. They they oh do. They, it's like a minute long teaser trailer that they do. And like in the last 10 seconds, you see a brief shot of Manson and a brief shot of uh, Son of Sam. It's like, okay, bang, so bang. It's real quick. The, the actor, and I'll pull up his name, but the actor who played the serial killer in the first season that hugs the main character at the end and kind of freaks him out. Yeah, big guy. He is in Umbrella Academy. Okay. And he is fantastic in that show. And I'm going to pull up his name. Because I want to pitch this guy for a particular role. And he's a really, really big guy. And he's really intimidating. He's he's very, if anybody hasn't seen Mindhunters yet, he's very kind of low-key to the point where he talks with everybody. But then he starts talking about like, oh, yeah, and that's why I had to kill her. Or, you know, just like this matter of fact thing. He's this big, bulking guy. Like, so, not muscular, but just a big presence. His name is Cameron Britton. He is billed at six foot five, and I want him to play Andre the Giant. Hmm. I want this guy is an incredibly talented actor. Yes, yes. And I want him to play a young Andre. I'll give I you. I think he could absolutely do it. There's one other little thing too. I heard this. I'd have to see it again really quick, but I I believe it. Somebody made this reference. I believe the person that plays Manson. In Mindhunters is the same person that played Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No freaking way. Yes. Let me pull off that cast. And by the way, Manson barely appears in the Tarantino movie. We haven't thrown up the spoiler warning yet. No, that's, I'm just, I'm not doing that yet. We're going to talk about that coming up here because we're both big Tarantino fans. But 
someone mentioned that to me and I, I didn't, cause I'd seen the mind hunters trailer and the movie days apart and it didn't even really dawn on me. And then somebody said that and I was just like, really? And I, I meant to go back and watch the mind hunters trailer to see if it's the same person. Well, there you go. But I think it is. Cause I mean, where I heard it from was a, was somebody that would know it was from another podcast and yeah, it's a movie podcast. So um, I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, it's him. It's yeah, him. Damon Harriman. That's crazy, isn't it? God, how would how would you feel to be known as the guy who, hey, you kind of look like this guy, so you're going to ca- get cast in this forever. It's bad enough to get typecast. To get typecast as Manson, probably not the best. Oh, there's a guy who played the dude who chopped off Jamie's hand in Game of Thrones. That guy has played Hitler in multiple things, one of them being Preacher. And I just feel bad for the guy. I'm like, you're probably not actually Hitler. Right. In terms of a person. So it's not really fair that you have to look like him. We need a good Hitler. I know the guy. I know a guy. I know a guy. Uh, Back to some questions. Uh, Do you think we will see Tessa Blanchard versus whoever holding the Impact World title at Bound for Glory? Uh, Does it really matter? Who we see her taking on? Who is? Oh wait, it's uh, it's who, Tessa against it, Brian Cage. Cage is the. Uh, they've done that match on other shows. Yeah, why not? I'm not gonna watch it. Yeah, is Tennille Dashwood a good pick for Impact? I don't know. Is she? I mean, they've got a they've got a talented women's roster. Yeah, quite, just, quite honestly, the only problem is it's impact wrestling. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the talent there because I'm, I'm definitely not going to do that. It's just, I don't know what the future is for impact. I am surprised that they're making signings. Like they signed to Neil Dashwood. They signed Rhino. I'm like, where do you guys have any money? You, you don't even have TV right now. Like yeah, Twitch is the, not paying this much money. Yeah. The Neil signs with them after a, a rocky couple of runs with ring of honor. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What one thing would you have put in the new look WWE network? I only use the network for work, so not a not a good uh, not a yeah. good person to ask. Maybe they could have uh, for people that really want to do a deep dive. They could have put a Ric Flair silhouette like in the corner and just automatically that way you don't have to type in Flair's name. You just <laughs> you just you just press that and it goes woo, and the next thing you know it's just the search for for Flair. You know, I don't know. Um, and uh, Ooh, you know what you know what they could do and do tell me if they do this yeah but do they have something where you can watch like a monday night you know what I, i've seen some people do this where is there a way where they could have it where you have the raw and the nitro from a given night playing at the same time on a dual screen just so you could get the feel yeah. of what was happening on one show compared to the other on a given night. I think you could do that because I believe you're allowed two sign-ins at the same time on the network. So if you want to put one on your TV and one in your computer or whatever, you know, you could, you could do it that way. Yeah. That would be something interesting. I'm just saying like a program that they automatically upload where both shows start and you can choose to either watch both click to one or click out of it and click to the other. Yeah. I, I would think that's the way you'd have to do it. You'd have to log in at, on two different devices, but you could start them separately. You just start them at the same time. And I'm talking on the same, I'm talking all yeah. that on the same screen. Right. That would be cool to, if they could do that though. I don't, 
Like they, they have you that? basically relive the attitude era. Yeah. I don't know if they have that. Yeah, just do it on a split screen right there, and you could kind of if you could choose back and forth which one you want on like the bigger screen and which one you want in the corner. That would be that would be a pretty cool feature. Uh, Bill Dixon asks, how concerned should Ring of Honor be with New Japan Pro Wrestling running shows without them and in their buildings? How long do you think their cooperation agreement will continue for? As long as Ring of Honor can keep making it happen, it will keep happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're concerned. I think I think New Japan just looks at it as, hey, this is part of our expansion into the United States. We are still partners with ring of honor we're still doing shows together and i don't i don't think that's going to end anytime soon i mean i i think some people thought and i was kind of in this mix too like after the Madison square garden show then maybe they would do something with aew but it sure seems like new japan and aew are not friends and i don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon and in the meantime you know, New Japan has had a good relationship with Ring of Honor, and I think they want to keep that going. It's just they they want to do their own thing as well when it comes to making an imprint in the United States. So I don't I don't think there's any ruffled feathers between those two promotions. I'll put it this way: if the relationship ends, it will be on New Japan's end. Yes, I I would agree with that. Uh, Al Al Sharif asks, um, "What's next for the NWA now that they broke up with Ring of Honor?" Good question. Before they were doing some with Ring of Honor, they were trying to get their own TV. And my guess would be they're probably still trying to find their own TV or find their own distribution. And they would try to do TV shows every week and just figure out what platform they would put it on. From the way the reports came out, this they're looking for some type of series on a weekly basis to keep going. What that looks like, how they utilize the different companies under the nwa banner for that good freaking question i don't have a clue in a perfect world and say that they they did tv every week but it wasn't on tv maybe it was on youtube a streaming service something like that yeah wouldn't you agree like the perfect thing for them would be do a show that's not a set length of time every week from a standpoint like you don't have to do 60 minutes like you do a 40 minute show. You do something between 40 to 45 minutes every week. So it's not too long, but yet it's long enough. You don't want necessarily just 30 minutes. Maybe you do something a little bit longer. That's, and you if you do it, you know, you're streaming, it doesn't have to be that set period of time, but something like that could be a little bit different where you don't have to make an overly huge commitment, but you know, you're still getting plenty of content every week on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see where they go. I mean, they're, they're talking with different places, and we'll see what might happen from that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Philip Walchester asks, where did Sid go? Was he bitten by a shark while deep sea diving off the coast of Australia, or was there an emergency softball game? <laughs> <laughs> we spoke about this last week. He told them days before he wasn't going to make it. Yeah, and we still have not heard from Sid. <laughs> so Sid's out there somewhere. We will uh, we will keep you updated on his whereabouts, and if we have a sighting, we will uh, we will mention it's kind of like uh, he's the Yeti or the Bigfoot now. Where's Sid? The Yeti. Yeti. Get get it right. He is somewhere in the world. Let's just put it that way. He he's out there somewhere, and uh, if we find him, we will let him. We'll let everybody know. Um, 
I think that's going to do it for wrestling. I think we both want to jump in and talk movies. Plus, there wasn't too yeah. much. Like, I think we covered everything in wrestling. We were trying to, like, brush past everything too quickly. But at the same time, like, there's there, nothing to talk about. There's only so much going on this week when it comes to wrestling. And we wanted to talk some movie stuff. Because, let's, let's start here. Because we wanted to, um, we've been talking about uh, discussing the Spider-Man Far From Home movie for a yes. little while now. A, um, a month after it's released, we finally discuss it. Because yeah. somebody was dragging their feet. Well, I did see it like three weeks after it came out. I will give you that. Um, and you saw it like opening night. night. Yeah. yeah. So what were your impressions of that movie? I dig it. I loved the hell out of the Jake Gyllenhaal performance. I knew the twist was coming, but was still pretty impressed with how they pulled it off. Especially the small little cameos that came back in for, hey, this is the guy that Jeff Bridges yelled at way back in Iron Man 1. He's working with him. And, oh, you know that technology that you saw in Civil War? Yeah, that's how Mysterio is making his illusions. You saw this thing three years ago. Isn't it incredible the attention to detail that the Marvel Universe has? And that's that's something we scream about when it comes to wrestling, especially in WWE. The attention to detail and the callbacks and the way that you can use your uh, your footage, your archives to bring back Kind of like what they've done with Kofi and Randy Orton, but too many times they don't do that. And the Marvel Universe did exactly that in this Spider-Man movie. And by the way, I'm not somebody that read the comics, so I didn't even know that twist was coming. I knew Joe and all was in the movie, and but I didn't know exactly what the role was or the twist that came along with that. Oh, and by the way, everybody, we're going to warn you right now. Everything we talk about from here forward is not only going to be about movies. It's going to be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movies yet, thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast and we'll talk to you next week. For everybody else, please hang around as we have a little movie talk here and uh, we discuss some of the latest flicks. I I love that movie, though. I mean, it was if you watch Spider-Man, it's for a younger audience. But the thing that I would say about that movie is they know exactly who they're playing to and they know exactly the beats to hit on when it comes to that movie. They know exactly what they're doing, what they want to tell on that story, how to tell it. And I thought it did a fantastic job of telling a, a fun story for a, you know, a two hour movie. Right. And if, if the teenage drama stuff doesn't reel you in, just stick around. The Spider-Man stuff really kicks in in the second half. And oh, it doesn't yeah. really stop until the end. It's just, they just know what the character is about. They know the audience they're playing to. Even, even if you're not somewhere, you know, you're not 17 through 21 or whatever the target demo is for this, maybe even a little younger, even for adults, the people that like uh, Marvel movies, it's just a fun movie. I mean, there, there's, there's twists and turns and, little things here and there and uh they mix in comedy in different areas and seriousness and action and everything and they just kind of got it down to a t when it comes to where spider-man is in particular and now we'll see how they can play that off when it comes to the marvel universe going forward with all the different projects that they have planned because they announced marvel announced what eight new movies coming out within the next couple of years yeah new movies new tv shows and this might not even be all of phase four. This might just be the first half because on top of that, we still, we know they're doing something with fantastic four and the X-Men and Deadpool three and MF and blade is coming back. 
With which, Mahershala Ali, which is promising at least. Friggin' Cottonmouth from the Luke Cage series. Yeah. Who killed it then and he'll kill it again. I, that dude's awesome and I cannot wait for that. Problem is, that's not probably for a while. What what year is it that they have coming up that there's like six or eight Marvel movies are planned to come out? Well, it's it's not all it's not all movies because there are Disney Plus shows that are coming out. Whether those fit the quality of movies with things like um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision, Hawkeye, the What If series. like These are going to bridge the gap between the big gaps in the movies. I don't think we get a year where six movies come out. That, yeah. That's not happening. And there's a Loki series, I believe, too, right? That's going to yeah, be on Disney they- Plus. Who is the Loki that disappeared midway through Avengers Endgame? So it's not the reformed Loki that we came to know in Thor Ragnarok. Okay. This is still the mischievous, ah, I hate my brother, stab kind of guy. And they've got the next Thor movie that's coming out, which is titled what, what, what? Love, Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder. And we've got a female Thor. Yep. Yeah. We're getting uh, Natalie Portman's coming back. We're getting. Valkyrie as an out and out LGBTQ character. We're getting Thor doing something, but we also don't know what he's doing with guardians. We know that movie's coming. Will so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot happening. How much of fat Thor do you think we're going to see? <laughs> you know, both sides right now are denying that they're directly affecting the other. But for me, it is entirely a wait and see situation where, he might be he might be skinny straight out of whichever movie shows up first, but you kind of can't ignore the fact that he did leave an Endgame with the Guardians. Yeah, but we're not. It doesn't sound like we're getting Guardians first. It sounds like we're getting Love and Thunder first, right? And then at some point, people are kind of waiting if we're going to get a crossover between like the Guardians and X Men. Or yeah. what's going to happen Guardians with that? Guardians and Fantastic X Men just getting introduced. Yes, which so no. they have to be thrilled about that, considering how craptastic the X Men series is kind of falling off a cliff. Well, it was the last movie that fell it way yeah. off. Before that, it was freaking Logan. I believe the X Men movie is available on digital download already. And I don't recommend it. I I could have swore I saw an ad for that or. If I know I saw one for uh, Avengers Endgame, but I yeah. think I saw it for the X-Men movie as well, which is crazy if it did. If not, I expect it very soon. Like, if I can't go and get it, like, on Redbox here pretty soon. My wife still wants to see it because we did not go see it. And I always told her, like, oh, we'll go see it. In the back of my mind thinking, I'm not going to go see it. If um, you love your wife, you will not make her watch this movie. I have told her this. And she's like, no, I still want to check it out. She just wants to and... I'm like, I I think this is going to hurt you more than tell, anything else. If you tell see Mrs. It. Fritz that the guy that covers this stuff for a living is telling you you should not watch this. I've tried. I have tried. Uh, I did take Mrs. Fritz, though, on opening night while we were on a long weekend vacation to Asheville, North Carolina. I did convince her that we should go to the movies and go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And quite honestly, she is not the biggest Tarantino fan, just from the standpoint that she hasn't seen a lot of his movies. Like, um, 
Less than a month ago, there was some local theater near where I live. They were showing Pulp Fiction. She had never seen Pulp Fiction before. Okay. Never seen Pulp Fiction. And I think this is, so I think that was the first time she ever even saw a Tarantino movie. I don't think she's, I know she hasn't seen Reservoir Dogs. I don't think she's seen the Kill Bill movies. I don't think she's seen Glorious Bastards. I'm, I know she hasn't seen Jackie Brown. So, but she was cool with going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So we got to see it opening night at like this little local indie theater in Asheville, which was kind of a cool scene to go see it on. So I I was thinking I wasn't even going to get to see this movie like opening weekend and I got to see it on opening night. Very nice. Now I've talked about this movie at length wearing my finest Hawaiian shirt over on the comic book nation podcast. So Let's start off here. What did you think overall of this movie? Real quick about that. When you talk about your finest Hawaiian shirt. Yes. Cliff Booth, portrayed by Brad Pitt in this movie. Where a Mizzou fun, made Brad Pitt. Yes. yes. A fine yellow Hawaiian shirt. Yes. So the other day I watched Reservoir Dogs. And a certain Mr. Pink at one point where they're all getting their names is wearing a fine yellow Hawaiian shirt. And you don't get to see too much of it. And I tweeted out a picture of it because you only see them from like, I don't know, the chest up. So you only see part of the shirt. And it's only in this quick scene. And I'm wondering if it's the same shirt so that I, they were. Let, let, let me pop your bubble on this one. Yeah. It's not the same shirt. Damn it. I have scoured the costume designer's interviews because she's done a bunch since this movie came out. I have scoured her interviews because I have been trying to find out. Who made the shirt? Because I want that shirt. There's a problem. It's not made by any one designer. It's a custom printed shirt. Uh, were you going to so go the, as Cliff Booth for Halloween? I easily will go as Cliff Booth for Halloween. I'll go. I will shave this sucker down into a mustache and go as David Harbour from Stranger Things for Halloween. Because all you need is a Hawaiian shirt and a mustache. Yes, that's true. Now, when it comes to the movie, though, I mean... It's two hours and 40 minutes. Yep. I never felt like it was long. I never felt like it dragged. It is quintessential Tarantino. And that and, and, and that it's not, though, because I feel like this movie is going to get known for being it's the Tarantino movie of people that don't like Tarantino movies. Yeah. I mean, you get sucked into this whole other world and it's it's based in the, uh, the late 60s. It's a, it's, it's, it starts in February of 69 and in Los Angeles, and then it jumps forward to August 8th. Right. Which, if you know your L.A. history, something bad happened that night. Right. And, I mean, the whole thing encompasses basically, like, three days. Yeah. Like, there's two days in February and there's one day in August. And, um, I mean, we're doing spoilers, so we can talk about what happens there. But it's just interesting to see the way that he carves out this whole world. And it's kind of an homage to Los Angeles because Tarantino, you know, is from Los Angeles. He considers himself a true Los Angeles resident, uh, something that he does not bestow on a lot of other people. He's like, you have to be born there. You have to live there your entire life. But it's this whole other world that he's created inside of what really happened. And there's some characters that are real life and there's others that are not. And it's just part of this world that he's created or loosely based off of people that inspired Tarantino that he watched growing up, especially various actors. Right. And if, if the movie had just ended 
with Pritt, with Pitt and DiCaprio just sitting there watching DiCaprio's cameo on FBI that night. Yeah. Would have been fine. Would have been a fine movie. Would have been like, oh, that was two that was two hours and twenty minutes. It was a day in the life in sixty nine Los Angeles. The more you look it up, there are so many details that he went out and he made sure he got right that you just go, wow, that I, I, I was able to sit and soak in this and I loved it. And then those last 20 minutes happened. Yeah. And I mean, the last 20 minutes are basically um, it's revisionist history because it is from that infamous night in August when Charles Manson sent some people from his family is his cult to go up and kill people on Silo Drive in the Canyon he area. Was, he was going up to kill what people that he thought lived in this one particular house that had now since been bought out by Sharon Tate. Been rented. And her it, was, re, it was being rented at the point at that right. time. And her husband, Sharon Tate's husband was um, the famous director. Oh, uh, shoot. It's the it's the English guy that wound up getting uh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, thank you. And um, my own little Roman Polanski, Homer. That's a terrible thing. What's wrong with Roman Polanski? You monster! <laughs> yes. Uh, and if people don't know the story about Roman Polanski, and that's one of the polarizing uh, things of this movie, you're slightly uh, look it up because let's just say that uh, he hasn't been back to the United States in a while and um, will not be welcome back. Um, yeah. But at the time, even of the night that this really went down, Polanski was not there. Sharon Tate was there. And for people that don't know who she is, she was an up-and-coming actress that had appeared in a couple of things. She was married to Roman Polanski at the time that um, her career was really come blossoming. And she was also eight months pregnant at the time. And basically, Manson sent people up there to kill who he thought was living in the house. And they did kill the people that were in the house but it was not who he expected. Um, and then the following night, the Manson family killed several other people in another location. And it sent off this shockwave of terror that went through Los Angeles and people want to read about the Manson family and everything about that. That's what this is kind of based around is on those particular nights. The, the best thing you can do before going to this movie, because people in my generation might know who Charles Manson is or know who the Manson family is, but they might not know all the details about the Sharon Tate murder, the best thing you can do, go onto YouTube, type in the murder of Sharon Tate. You'll see a bunch of different videos breaking down the specifics of what happened on that night. Because what will benefit you then is when you get the alternate version of the history of what happens, you still see some details of like, oh, they did it the same way. That guy said the same thing. You can really tell that Tarantino was trying to break down what had happened that night because the the Sharon Tate murder is seen as kind of this loss of innocence in a time when there was a lot of chaotic things happening. The, the studio system in Hollywood was collapsing at the time. Vietnam was going on. We're about to hit the 70s where there's this massive, massive cultural shift. And then here comes the Manson family you know, mostly comprised of teenagers trying to rebel against the previous generation with violent acts of murder and a cult. And this was Tarantino. Honestly, this felt like catharsis to me, this revisionist history, much in the same way where you've got Eli Roth plowing a machine gun through Adolf Hitler. 
You've got characters that Tarantino has personally built to violently lash back at the people that killed Sharon Tate. Yeah, because this this movie ties in in loosely in just kind of the way that he did it in Two Inglorious Bastards, and in that that movie was revisionist history. In the end, people kill Hitler, and yeah. in this one. Uh, people, the, the, the Manson family that went to kill all the people in the, that house, including Sharon Tate, they're the ones that ended up getting killed and they get killed in a spectacularly violent way that has been part of a calling card for Tarantino. And it's right out of like inglorious bastards. It's right out of uh kill bill. It's just, just the most violent way you can imagine. It's one of those things too, where for some people it can be upsetting because it is so like gruesome in the way they get killed. Plus there's, I mean, Brad Pitt kills a woman and like yeah. just, just bashes her over and over and over. And oh, while, and uh, while DiCaprio he, kills one via flamethrower. Right. You know, which is crazy. And that they do a callback to a flamethrower in this movie. But when, it, it's <laughs> not, it's not violence for the sake of violence. It's, it's fist pumping revenge. Yes. It's and, not. Oh, I want to I want to depict a woman getting the bejesus beaten out of her. No, it's hey, these are the bastards that murdered an innocent woman who was eight months pregnant. And that's why I think people can accept it. It wasn't there are some Tarantino movies that are violence just for violence. This one was revisionist history. And by the way, the good guys end up getting it right in that you watch this whole movie and you've created this whole universe of this down and this this actor that's still not confident in himself and he's trying to find himself and he's all over the place and that's Leonardo DiCaprio and then you've got Brad Pitt of all people not being the lead he's his his stunt double that can't find work for for various reasons that have gone wrong when it comes to his career and they end up being the good guys that kill the members of the Manson family and save Sharon Tate and it leaves you with this big what if at the end of the movie, like what happens right. with both and, of them, you know, and that's forward. why it's called once upon a time in Hollywood. It is a fairy tale. Essentially. It's a dream. It's a wish of what we hoped had happened as opposed to what really happened. And all Tarantino movies in some way, shape or form are about film itself. And glorious bastards is talking about how film was used in the third Reich as a weapon. So he physically weaponizes film in the movie by having it blow up the Nazis in this movie. It's about how you can tell stories of the way you wish the world was. You you can give a a version of things that you wish it had turned out this way. You wish Sharon Tate had nothing bad had happened to her that night. And she had, you know, lived peacefully to have a child and have a successful film career as I was, opposed to what happened. I was impressed with not only how good of a fighter Cliff Booth is in the movie, which is Brad Pitt, Yeah, but how great of a who, fighter do you he know is. Who he's, you know who he's based off of? There's been a couple of people I've heard. Was it the guy that was the stunt double for Burt Reynolds? And who directed Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. Yep. I can't remember that guy's name, but yeah, that's one of the guys I've heard that was based off of. But not only was he a hell of a fighter, but he proved to be a hell of a fighter while drunk and smoking an acid-laced cigarette. High off his ass on acid, and all he has to do is go, and suddenly his American bully puppy, who is so dang cute. Yes. This is like, sick him. And he bashes somebody's face in with a can of dog food, yeah, he uh, does. among other things. But um, I, I left this movie 
just kind of amazed by this world that he had shown and in some ways created. Because um, like, like I said before, a lot of it's based off of, of characters from real life or people from real life. But I also left this thinking, even though we don't know whether or not Cliff killed his wife or not, even though we do, you probably did. And I can't blame him, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> but he was like the coolest guy in the movie. Like you watch yeah. this thing and I'm like, this guy is so, I mean, this, I mean, he had a fight with uh, um, Bruce Lee, with Bruce Lee, which I thought one of the funniest things in the movie when it comes to kind of the social commentary was that they had an argument about who would win in a fight between Muhammad Ali, or I think they even said Cassius Clay. They, they were calling him Cassius at the time. Yeah, yeah. between Cassius Clay and, and Bruce Lee, which is like this age-old argument that people have to this day on who right. would win a fight between the two of them. And they actually did this in the movie. I mean, so let me ask you this. There, there are so many things to like about this movie. There, there's the minor details, the, the character actors that pop up, all of the... All of the girls at the ranch are the daughters of famous actors like Rumor uh, Wilson is in there. Right. Like Lena Dunham's there, but kind of playing what people always assume she will end up being. Yeah. Which, you know, by the way, then, that for what you will. But let how, me ask you how this. many cameos do we get in this movie? Jeez. An ungodly amount. And they were all great, especially Luke Perry's because you were just like, oh, crap. Luke Perry hey, was buddy. fantastic. Out of nowhere, like Scoop McNary was there for like a minute and had three lines. I was like, wait a second, that's Scoop McNary. I mean, he's bigger than this. Come on, what the hell? It's like, oh, hey, Steve McQueen. And you turn around, it's Damian Lewis. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, no. And he, I thought he looked very much like Steve McQueen as well, if you, if you yeah, actually see was, a photo of him. And he was doing the voice thing, too. Um, but let me ask you this. Of the... Two lead of the two main guys who put on the better performance because I keep going back and forth on this one. I think DiCaprio because I think one of the most difficult things for an actor to do, except especially somebody of his stature, is to show the kind of vulnerability that he showed in the movie to show That's the that word, vulnerability. Yes, because to show how down and out they are, how the lack of confidence. And the ups and downs they go through in the life, and how vulnerable he is as a person, I think it, I think it's very difficult to do. And DiCaprio encapsulated it in a way that was amazing. I I gotta agree with you. Just the the scenes on the set of Lancer, where he is he's reading the book about a guy a cowboy who's past his prime. He's just like, God, that's me, and I'm tearing up. And the little girl goes over to him and goes. I don't understand. He's like, you will in about 15 years. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. And then he's, he's doing the scene. He's doing well, but then he screws up the line. So he goes back into his trailer and he's just beating him the self, his, his self up over it. He's like, eight whiskey sours. You only needed three, but you kept drinking because you're an alcoholic. And then he reaches for his flask. Like he is such a wounded character. But then this moment where. He has this great villain scene. I mean, it's a corny Western TV yeah. show, so it's only as good as it can get. But he has this scene, and then the director comes up. He's like, that was amazing. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I loved the improv. You nailed it. And the little girl walks up, and she's like, that's the best acting I've ever seen. And he just starts tearing up. And he's just like, Rick fucking Dalton. And you're just like, yeah, that, that's a real moment right there. And then Rick Dalton doesn't even learn from that because – he ends up going over to Italy and do spaghetti Westerns where he just kind of gets through these movies and puts on 15 pounds while eating uh, pasta and uh, meets his wife. Who's, you know, 
did very well for himself. Right. And he's still so. not sure what, where his career is going to be once he comes back to the United States because he's just like, ah, I spent a bunch of my movie on the place I stayed at there. And, you know, I'm kind of spending too much on my property now. We're probably going to have to downsize like a condo and I'm going to have to sell my place up here in the canyon, you know, and everything. Right. And he, but it's just all of it. There's so many layers to his character. And then you remember that this is one of the most successful actors in the world today. Yeah playing this type and you just go a great freaking performance. And then right next to him is a guy in Brad Pitt who is just affable and laid back, but is completely in control of his situation. No matter what he's doing, whether he's at the ranch and they're telling him, Oh, you can't go back and see George. You don't want to know what's back there. And he's like, I'll take my chances. And he just keeps pushing and he finally gets back there and you just think he's going to get met with like, a parade of knives when he walks out of that room. Right. And nope, he just finds there's a knife in his car and he's like, Hey, flock of seagulls over here. Punch. Fix this. He lives through the whole thing when he leaves the spawn ranch. And we, we talk about like what was real and what was not real. George was real. The ranch was real. And I'm like, like George really owned the ranch and really went blind and let the Manson family stay there because the, the girls kept having sex with him and yeah. he let them stay rent free basically. And I, I loved, and there, there have been a few pieces on this about the friendship between those two. And at first glance, you think it's, Oh, Brad Pitt is just, you know, using DiCaprio to go to fancy parties and go on these big trips and chill at his house in the Hills you know, because his other his alternative option is to go sleep in a trailer behind a movie theater. And then on the other end, it's, oh, DiCaprio doesn't want to take the bumps that an actor would without a stunt double and needs some muscle and needs an alibi and needs a driver because he's a drunk. I, I love the very beginning where it's like, I need someone to drive me. I lost my license. Well, that's bullshit. Here's what really happens. <laughs> but then you, the more that they're together, you just go. No, wait, this is really a friendship. Right. And they they benefit. It's a symbiotic friendship. They they help each other. It's not just they're trying to mooch off of one another. Yeah, and even in the end where DiCaprio, when they're coming back to the United States, and he says, I can't afford you anymore, good buddy. I think this is going to have to be it. So you want to have one last night together where they just get blind drunk. Yeah. And they end up you know, going back to DiCaprio's place after they've already been drinking, and they go back there. And together as kind of this tag team, they eviscerate the Manson family members that yeah. come to the house. And it's, it, and there's a moment where he just, he looks in the ambulance, he goes, you're a good friend. Yes. And he, it, Brad Pitt's like, yeah, I know. And it's just, it's a sweet moment. And then you have to remember, this is the same guy who in the last movie he did, he had eight people beat the living bejesus out of each other in a snow covered cabin. Yeah. The same guy who just did a movie about hateful characters with hateful themes does this movie that's overall really nice and about hope and about friendship. So both of us are big Tarantino fans. Both of us have seen all nine of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Without like ranking them in order, where where would you put this one on on his pantheon of movies? Oof, this one. I mean, it, I feel like. I feel like it's top five if you count Kill Bill as one movie. It's tough because it is so fresh right now. 
Um, and, and it it might in the end not be ranked highly just because it's so different from the rest of his stuff. It is, but I I think it's going to be nominated for best picture. I think it, I think it will get an Oscar nomination. I want this to be the one that Pitt finally wins an Oscar for, and I want it. I want him to go for the supporting actor. He I don't should. think he's going to win. It. He's. I don't think he could win an actor, but I think he could win a supporting actor. Yeah, I, I, I think he could get nominated. I think. I think DiCaprio has a better chance of winning though as the lead than Pitt than Pitt does. And, I and, think you're. I think he's going to run into. There's a movie coming out called The Lighthouse. Oh, I saw I the trailer going, for that. I think Defoe is going to run away with that thing so fast. He might. And um, if Tarantino wins director, and I'm not trying to take away anything from Quentin, but if he if he wins for this, I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit more of a Lifetime Achievement Award. Kind of like the same thing happened with Martin Scorsese. When when Scorsese yeah. won his Oscar, it, was, it felt like it was a little bit more of a Lifetime Achievement Award than for the particular film. But at the same time, people in Hollywood don't necessarily like Quentin. They they kind of find him abrasive, which is why he always gets snubbed for that best director Oscar. Right. They'll give him the screenplay stuff and they'll give Chris Christoph Waltz awards. That's fine. But don't put this guy up there with guys like Alphonse Coran or yeah. somebody like that. I went back because I had Monday off and I was just like, I'm a couple of days off of watching this movie. And I, like I said, I've seen Pulp Fiction pretty recently again. I was like, I got a little time here. And I watched Inglorious Bastards and Reservoir Dogs back to back on Monday. That's, An interesting pairing. Yes, because I I haven't watched Bastards in a long time, and Reservoir Dogs pairs up so nicely with Pulp Fiction because it's the same universe. I mean, there are mentions in Reservoir Dogs that literally feed into Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Oh, the, there's there's references to all of his movies. Reds Red Apple Cigarettes shows up in this one. But yeah. you really feel like you're living in the same world when it comes to dogs and Pulp Fiction, because you've got the Vega brothers there, which is one of those Tarantino wanted to make that movie. But then by the time he was going to do it, felt like John Travolta was too old to do it because you have, you know, Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction and his brother, he was played by Michael Madsen's in uh, reservoir dogs. Yeah. Um, you have the mention of Alabama, which ties into True Romance, which is a movie that Tarantino, of course, wrote but did not direct because he gave it to Tony Scott. To, yeah, uh, there, to there's a out. relation between a character in True Romance to one of the bastards. Yes. So there's this whole other world. I, in fact, I was thinking about this today. There is, I can almost feel like, and obviously there literally is not a tie into it, but don't you feel like the world that we have between Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction? Almost feels like it could be the same world where John Wick exists. Yeah, that that could work. Or is it just because you got a guy with long hair in a suit? No, I just look at it because it's like this under, it's this world that's out there, like right in front of you, but you're not looking for it. So it's kind of this underground world that exists in the world that you're in. You just don't know that it's there. And you look at the characters from both Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Those are dirty bastards that are all over mm -hmm. the place. And sometimes you think they're smart for the things that they do. And then come to find out, you just find out they're crude, racist jerks. Idiots. Yeah. Idiots. They're, they're horrible people. They're flat out horrible people because I mean, the guys of reservoir dogs, that is a really cool, slick movie for as basic and kind of 
mundane or not mundane, but just kind of rudimentary it is in the way that they it, made that it, movie. It feels like a stage play in the same way that you could have Hateful Eight be a stage play. But it's there's for some, different reasons. Yeah, but there's something like really cool and slick about it, especially when it comes to those characters and you know, they're all wearing matching suits and Nobody gives away their name. They go by Mr. Pink and Mr. Orange and Mr. White and uh, Mr. Brown. Mr. Pink? Right. You know, I want to change my name. Well, of course, you know, you're Mr. White. That's Mr. Cool, you know? And uh, and even, like, some of the lines that come from those two movies. Because for me, I mean, I saw Pulp Fiction before I saw Reservoir Dogs. I remember seeing Pulp Fiction in the theater. I left the theater going, what the hell was that? I went and saw it again two or three weeks later. And then I saw Reservoir Dogs, which is the way I think a lot of people probably that, have seen those movies. Based on all the conversations I've heard, it was Reservoir Dogs came out. No one really paid attention to it. Pulp Fiction comes out and everybody at the local video stores go, oh, this guy's great. What else has he done? Oh, he's got this other movie. Okay, give me that. Yeah, exactly. And But if he had not done Reservoir Dogs, he would not have gotten the money and everything to, to do Pulp Fiction. But... Yeah, a lot of people didn't even know about Reservoir Dogs because it was it only made so much money, but it was so acclaimed. Everybody goes, "This is the next guy. This is this is Orson Welles right here." You know, it wasn't even Scorsese. It was just like this guy's on a whole another level with the way that he does movies. The other thing I will mention when it comes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's something that Tarantino does in a lot of his movies, and this to me is like an incredible attribute that he has. The music that he picks and the way they integrates music into his movies is incredible. And one of the things he does in this movie is there's there's scenes where Brad Pitt is driving through Los Angeles. And as Tarantino will tell you at that time, when you listen to the radio, you picked one station and that's all you did is you listen to one station. You didn't fool around to find other stations with other music. You listen to the commercials, you listen to everything. And he spots like that in this movie and the, the songs that he picks and correct everything. me if I'm wrong. Didn't he pick songs that would have been playing at that time? He not didn't only he go did back that, and check? he went back and checked and he figured out what songs were playing on what day and what time I believe. That's, so he could exactly replicate it, which is incredible. That's the kind of detail that makes the world feel so lived in. Yes. And like, like for me, I remember when I watched reservoir dogs, like, that's a soundtrack that really stands out to me. Like I will hear different songs. I'll be like, that's reservoir dogs, especially when it comes to stuck in the middle of you or stuck in the middle with you, because that's, that's the, the song the that was ear, in the background the, of a torture the, scene, the ear scene. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and Pulp Fiction, there's different things that stand out from that. And same with other movies. But to I, answer your question from way at the beginning, yes, this is a, this is a high ranking one, but at the same time, it might not be what I'm looking for at a certain time. If I'm looking for the big, you know, the kind of the, the juicy, like super dialogue heavy, but also super violent. I'm going to go with Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained. If I'm looking for some of his classics, I'm going to go Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. I usually don't pick Jackie Brown for anything because that's my least favorite. That's really? Me. It didn't click. Because I, I, I think critics I think would say later that, in life you get. Yeah, because I think a lot of critics say Pulp Fiction's number one and then like, Jackie Brown's like two or three. It's very high up there. Not for me. The ones that people put a little bit lower down are Kill Bill and uh, probably The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Where does Death Proof sit on that for you? Because people don't tend to count that one. 
I know they don't they don't tend to count that. That um I mean I like it. It's just it's just a weird kind of a movie the way they they put that all together. Yeah, you you have to when you rank Tarantino, it can't just be his nine films. It has to be True Romance and Dust Till Dawn and Sin City, where he was the guest director. Like you gotta you gotta bring in his whole filmography. Do I need to bring in the episode or two of ER that he also directed? We also did like CSI. Like yeah, he did CSI. When uh, it, when the, the advantage with Tarantino is that he hasn't done an ungodly amount of projects so that you can kind of put them all on one list and be like, oh, I can watch all of this. Can I bring in it's the Tarantino? fairly accessible. What was the movie he did where he did the cameo where he explained that Top Gun is all based on homosexuality? I don't know, but I keep hearing that one get brought up. Yeah. Or like in four rooms where he directed one of the four sequences. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you you got to bring all of it in when you're talking about this guy. And now he's doing, uh, he wants to do Star Trek. He's he's wallowing back and forth between Star Trek or Kill Bill 3. He keeps saying that he won't do any more movies than 10. I think he's I think he believes that, but I also believe that as a creative mind he is going to do other stuff and go, god, this would work better as a screenplay. And then he would make it a screenplay and then he would go, "Well, no one's making this but me because I wrote it." And I know how to get this on perfectly. I'm not giving this to J.J. Abrams. Right. I'm the best one who can do this. And then an 11th movie will get made and a 12th and uh, however many he wants to do until he kicks the bucket. Yeah. I mean, I'm thoroughly impressed by this movie again. I'm not sure exactly where I'd rank it, but if you like, if you want to go into another world that took place, you know, 50 years ago, basically in Los Angeles and see what he gets out of these two characters and these performances. It's incredible. And like I said, the number of cameos, you can't even keep up with it. I mean, Rebecca Gayhart's in this movie for a brief minute, okay? And go back and figure Rebecca Gayhart, who she was. Because she was in 90210, among a couple of other things. I think she was in my she might have been in an Eczema commercial, if I remember right, back in the day. And then her career's kind of gone awry. And that's that's one of the things he did in this movie, is that he picked people whose careers maybe didn't go the way that they planned and he had them all be you know have cameos you know in this movie even mike moe that uh that's in there as bruce lee he's a guy yeah. that actually was in hollywood didn't like the way his career was going left to open a martial arts school in wisconsin heard about this movie put his name in the mix and ended up getting the part who looks photo like you put them up next to each other it's like you're related. Like how the heck do you look so much like him? And it's the early Bruce Lee. It's not the Bruce Lee. We saw like an enter the dragon, but it's the one that yeah. played in uh, green Hornet. Right. It, you know, and I love, I love how it, it, it's like when Brad Pitt's calling him Cato and I'm like, okay, that's kind of racist. I'm like, wait a second. They're on the set of green Hornet. He's yeah. just calling him his character. name. <laughs> exactly. That's why he was doing it. So yeah, there's a lot of fun things in the movie. I, I kind of want to go back and see it again in a couple of weeks. Because you want to digest it at first, then you want to go back, and then you can pay attention to some of the little smaller details. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that, and look at that. It's kind of like um, when you go and see um, Usual Suspects. If anybody's right. ever seen that, like every time I see Usual Suspects, I pick up another clue or another little thing that I hadn't seen before. Even though I've seen that movie like ten or fifteen times, you always pick up something else in those movies. That movie gets more awkward every year with every scandal. I love that movie, man. It's so great. 
so great. So it's hard. It's hard to watch Kevin Space performances now. But I'll, my yeah. closing line on this: Yeah, I will be shocked if this movie by the end of the year is not in my top three. Like blown away. There, some some real good stuff's going to have to come along to knock this out of the top three. Is Avengers Endgame going to be in your top three? Yeah. Okay. So we just got to figure out who that third movie is going to be. Yeah. Right now, I think it's I think John Wick is sitting there right now, but he it's okay. He can move down. Oh man, putting down it'll the Wick. Pro- it'll be uh, an Oscar mo- type movie. It right. might be the Lighthouse. What did you, you think know? of that trailer? That trailer is creepy, wasn't it? It's creepy as hell. And you're like, wait, what is he trying to say? And then it's like, how long have we been in this lighthouse? I'm like, oh. Have oh. we been in here for five weeks? Or has it only been two days? <laughs> Just I want him to turn I want him to turn the pants and go, God speech, Spider-Man. <laughs> if you can't tell, we kind of like movies here a little bit. Yeah, we like our oh, wrestling. Man. And it was a little bit of a slower week for wrestling, so we hope you don't mind that we wanted to do some movie talking when when Weinsman was doing the podcast we would do this as well in fact we did cheap pops podcast where all we did was talk about tv and movies and whatnot as well and um since it was a little bit of a slower week and since there was a couple of movies that we wanted to talk about guess what we we talked a lot about uh about the movies and tarantino oh well one last thing too when it comes to tarantino because i know it's something we had kind of discussed before we taped do you have a favorite line or two from tarantino movies I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. <laughs> like people love that speech. I just love that line. I love from Pulp Fiction where he goes, "Oh, I shot Marvin in the face." Oh, you <laughs> shot Marvin. Between that and Reservoir Dogs, where after Harvey Keitel as Mister White gives this whole explanation about what to do if somebody during a robbery is giving you grief is giving you trouble and he goes through this whole thing about smashing with the butt of your gun or chop off a finger and all this stuff and then out there he goes i'm hungry let's get a taco it's so- <laughs> <laughs> i'm hungry let's get a taco it's such a great line oh, man what one thing because i know we're going long but i want to ask you about this because it, it this was a topic of debate before movie came out and it was sharon tate doesn't get a lot of lines in the movie. What did you think of Margot Robbie's performance? I thought it was great because I think it, it just symbolized what he wanted from Sharon Tate and that Sharon Tate was seen as this gorgeous, stylistic, up-and-coming actress that had the future in front of her, and it was very bright. And I thought she was portrayed as a very bubbly, upbeat character, somebody that, that had the world in front of her, you know, the right, look forward was- to... There were some very human moments in there, like when she's talking to the guy at the bookshop or when she's sitting in the theater and she's she's looking at these particular scenes. And it's not the movie itself that she's reacting to. It's the fans around her that don't know she's there. Right. And she's talking to them and she's like, oh, they really like it. That was nice. Or even when the way that she kind of talked her way into the movie theater in that it's not that she can't afford to go to the movies is that she just wants to say, hey, I'm in this movie. Can I can I get can I see it? Yeah. yeah, can I see it? And then she ends up having a moment with the, the manager there who right. lets her in, you know, and is being very nice to her and everything, which is something that actually did happen to Quentin Tarantino that he talks about. He went on a date one time and True Romance was playing and he asked, can I get in? I, I wrote this movie 
And I guess the staff was questioning him at first. And then at that point, Reservoir Dogs had already come out and he appears. He's a character in Reservoir Dogs, right. Mr. Brown. And like while they were trying to figure out, like, is this guy in the up and up? People were coming up to him and going, can I get your autograph? Can I get your picture? And then they let him and his date go into the movie. Uh, so I didn't think she needed that many lines. I mean, it was just. She's supposed to be this bright, upbeat right. personality. There, there, there weren't scenes for me. There weren't scenes where I was like, she needs to be talking more in the scenes. Like it didn't call for dialogue. Right. Because I mean, she's at the Playboy mansion and she's just dancing and having fun. Or even when she's hanging around in the house, like they get back, you know, from a uh, going to dinner or whatever. And she just wants to listen to music and dance or chill out or whatever. And then yeah. she didn't need a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So that's, that's where I sit on that. I, I know some people are going to ask about that at some point. Well, Tarantino so. took, you know, a lot of grief about that leading into the movie. I, I reject your hypothesis. Yes. And people didn't like his response to it too, which is, you know, why a lot of people don't like Quentin is because he can be so gruff about different things bit. when it comes to his choices. A little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't care what you think. He, no. he just doesn't, you know, he has a real auteur appreciates the work that he does. Then, then he's cool with it. Other than that, it's like, screw you. <laughs> well, that's all I've got on this. One. Yeah. Quinn's making movies for himself and he's hoping that some other people might enjoy them as well. Uh, that will do it for this week's podcast. Um, a couple of things before we get out of here, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast as we typically talk a lot more about wrestling. And I guarantee we're going to do that a lot more coming up here this week. We've got our home stretch into SummerSlam. In fact, be on lookout for a bonus podcast talking about SummerSlam this coming week. Uh, so look out for that. Um, SummerSlam obviously being one of the bigger shows of the year for WWE. So we'll have a bonus podcast coming out uh, sometime over the next couple of days regarding that. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts at. Please uh, follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Fritz. You can follow Connor. It's at Connor Casey underscore CB. Follow his work over at comicbook.com. And you can follow me over at Sporting News. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.